Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. Stand, open your Bibles to our New Testament, specifically to the letter to Timothy, the second one. Second Timothy, you find this towards the end of your Bible, Second Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to begin by reading one verse, and we will launch out from there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Love hearing those pages rustling. The phone is just quieter. You know what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with the phone, but <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul wrote this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Lord, over these next few moments, I pray that we would think differently than maybe we did coming in. So that we could be a people who not just walk by faith, but keep the faith. In Jesus' name. You agree with that? Say amen. 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 You can be seated. Do we have any ninth graders here? Any freshmen? Looking around here. Anybody, anybody, anybody? Over here, is there one? Oh my goodness, ninth graders are awesome! Come on, freshmen in high school. Woo! Some of you who are clapping are saying, I'm glad I'm not a freshman in high school any longer. But ninth graders, that is awesome. I remember when I was in ninth grade, I went out for the track team, only ran track one season. And I uh, was not awesome, I'll just say that. But one of the races that they had me run throughout the season was the 200 meter. And so I, I was ready for this. And we, we had our school competing against one other school. It wasn't invitational with a lot of schools. So it was just one school against another school. And we came to the 200-meter race. And I don't remember why this happened, but there were only three of us runners in that 200-meter race. And, and I, I was like, this is my one and only opportunity to get a first-place ribbon. Because I, I, in getting ready for that race, I, I looked over on one side and there was one guy that I had just beat in the, in the leg of the 4 by 100 I'm like, I got this guy. He's toast. I've already proven it. Faster than him. I look at the other guy and I'm like, are you serious? Like he's even lining up against me right now. And so I, I'm there in, my, in my, my, my little track shorts and my spikes. Sorry for that mental image. And I'm ready to go. And the guy, whatever, whatever they call him, the guy has the gun. He's like, runners on your mark, set. And me and another guy took off like bees coming out of a burning beehive. It was probably the fastest start maybe in the world <laughs> of any race that year. I don't know if you've heard about it. But we came out of the chute, I'm telling you, in a full-on sprint. And then we heard another gun go off, and we were like, what? We looked back. What had happened, it said, runners on your mark, get set. And me and this other kid took off as fast as we could before the gun to start the race. There were three of us starting that race. Suddenly there was now only one person in that race because me and the other guy got disqualified from the race. And so he did it again, runners on your mark, get set. Poof. 
the person takes off and gets a first place ribbon. I was thinking about that again this morning and I was like, you know what? There were only three runners in that race and I didn't even get a third place ribbon. Like that is just, that's just sad. It's just sad. How I started that race definitely affected how I experienced that race, which was defeat. How you start a race oftentimes affects how you experience a race. If I could say it maybe in a different way, how you start your day affects how you experience your day. How you start your day can affect how you experience your day. So if we could just reflect on that for just a moment, how do you start your day? Think about that for a moment. How do you start your day? How many of you are snooze punchers? <laughs> yeah, that's how you start your day. You're like, seven more minutes, here we go, and you're ready for the next one. How many of you uh, start your day with a caffeine hit? You're the kind of person that gets up and you're like, give me coffee or give me death. I feel like death, and so now I need my caffeine. How many of you brush your teeth before you eat breakfast? I don't understand that. <laughs> You're just going to get them dirty. Never understood that one, but that's cool. Now, do any of you that brush your teeth before you eat breakfast, brush your teeth then again after you eat breakfast? Now, that's commendable. Okay. Hats off. Hats off to all of you. That's impressive. So that's maybe how you start your day, maybe a rhythm, a routine that you have, but, but that's an action. But can we just for a moment step into that routine that you have and think about how you start your day between your ears? Let's talk about your, your headspace, where your mind's at, when the alarm goes off or when it's time to get up and you get up, ready to go for the day. How do you start your day? Because how you start your day, I believe, affects how you'll experience your day. Some of you might... Get up like this, you wake up in the morning, it's been a long night, wake up, you know, the alarm goes off, and you're just like, whoa, yes, a new day, let's go. Anybody like that? Dave, I see it, man. I see it, I, I believe it. Jen, I could see that. You wake up and you're just like, yeah, most of us don't wake up like that. And I actually just thought about this. I just yelled into this mic. So if your eardrums just burst, I apologize. That's on me. <laughs> Most of us wake up and we, after we're somewhat coherent, start to have thoughts going through our head. Right? If we're honest. Like a lot of us, when we wake up in the morning, uh, suddenly we, we start feeling the weight of everything that we need to do All, already. I mean, we just, we haven't got out of bed and we already start to feel the weight of our to-do list. Sometimes we feel condemnation for what we did or didn't do the day before, right? Sometimes it's just negative thoughts. Oh, man, another day. Oh, it's probably going to be as bad as yesterday. Oh, another day, there's no way I'm going to be able to make this. For some, it's fear. For some it's discouragement, for some it's anxiety of what you're getting ready to face. Oh, I don't really want to get out of bed to face that. For some it's just going right back in your mind to the conflict that you had the day before that wasn't resolved. For some it's going into the problems that you have with your kids, with coworkers. It's like, oh, I'm just going right back there with the mind as soon as 
we wake up. See, how you start your day, I believe, affects how you experience your day. And if, if that's true, if that's true, then how we start our day is actually really, really important. And so today, I want to share with you several starting blocks for how we could start the day tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Now, starting blocks, as I'm sure all of you know, are used by track athletes. And the purpose of them is so that you can launch out of the gate. You can launch into that race. It keeps your feet from slipping when you start so that you can go at a higher speed at the very beginning and hopefully continue that. It gives you a greater capability. It gives you even an edge if there are others in that short sprint that don't have the starting blocks. Starting blocks are needed for track athletes in order to get that that jump. Because how you start the race affects how you run the race, how you experience the race, maybe even how you finish the race. So if how you start your day affects how you experience today, then it stands the reason that how you start the day is very, very important, wouldn't you say? It's very important. So today, in sharing some starting blocks for us as we head into this, this next week, I want to say that these starting blocks are not things that you are to do. They're not another to-do list. Do this, and then that, and then that, and then that, and then that. And add them to all the other things that we're trying to do. It's not about anything you need to do. It's all about what you're invited to believe. See, as a follower of Christ, it's not as much about behaving better. It's about believing better. It's not so much about doing more. It's about believing more of what God's word says about you and for you as you head into your day. If how you start your day affects how you experience the day, then how you start your day is very, very important. The first starting block, a starting block of belief that I want to talk about is this. It's the starting block of this. There is nothing I can do that will attract or subtract the love God has for me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do in this day that I'm getting ready to head into that could attract or subtract the love God has for me. I think about Simon Peter. He's most known for denying Christ. He was one of Jesus' first disciples. He was someone that spent three years with Jesus. He was someone that heard incredible, powerful teachings and saw incredible, powerful miracles. For three years, for three years he had access to Jesus. When Jesus was in physical form as he had come to her 2,000 years ago, like very few other people ever had. He had that for three years. And after three years of being with Jesus, uh, three years of knowing Jesus, he denied that he knew Jesus. We read about this in Matthew chapter 26 where Peter was sitting out in a courtyard and a servant girl came to him. And she said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all. Now understand what is happening here in this moment. This is right after Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has been taken and he is being questioned. He is being accused. He is being condemned. People are beating him, literally pulling out his beard and beating him. And at the same time, just outside of that room where that's taking place, there is Peter who is warming himself by a fire. 
He's not that far from Jesus. He denies Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the, the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Check this. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. He began to say every word in the book in trying to emphatically declare to them in his words, and I quote, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Peter, you don't know the man? You, you don't know Jesus? You've just spent three years with him. You were just with him about two hours before that. And you, and you suddenly don't know him? I'm sorry, but that is lame, right? It's especially lame whenever you remember what Peter had just said to Jesus, not months before, but hours before. Peter went to Jesus and said this, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus said, well, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Jesus, I will prove to you that I am worthy of your love. Jesus, I'm going to impress you. I don't know about all these other jokers, but I'm telling you, Jesus, I got you. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna know that I am worthy of your attention and of your love. And then just moments later, he crashes and burns. You see, Simon Peter was putting on himself the kind of clothes that we often put on ourselves. It's clothes of self-righteousness. Call it self-righteous swag. Jesus, did you see those sweet shoes I was wearing of my good works and all the things that I did for you? Jesus, did you see that, that beautiful coat of convictions that I've been wearing in front of everybody? If only people would follow you like me. Then you would notice them too. Jesus, have you seen that new hat of knowledge I have, the revelation I'm getting, the things that I'm learning in Scripture? <laughs> if people only knew what I knew. Jesus, if people only sacrificed as much as I sacrificed, if people only gave as much to missions as I gave to missions, oh, man, Jesus, aren't you glad to have me? But when the heat started to get turned up on Peter, what happened? His self-righteous swag melted away. And he was left, well, naked before God. With nothing even remotely good in his life that would attract God's love. Nothing. Just a denial. Just a failure. But Peter learned an invaluable, priceless lesson on that day. I can't impress God. I can't earn the love of God. And every time I try... I fall short. And it was in 
darkest moment of Peter's life when the love of God resounded the loudest. It was in that moment when he was as far down as you can imagine that I believe his eyes began to get open to the love of God. Jesus, remember, was close by. And during the time that he's being beaten, yelled at, spit at in the face, he hears the rooster crow. It says, just as he was speaking, meaning just as Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, I don't think for a second that Jesus looked at Peter with haughty eyes of condemnation. See, eye contact is relational, isn't it? Jesus looked into the eyes of Peter. I believe he was saying, I saw what you did. I actually even heard what you just did. But I still love you. You're not disqualified. Jesus could have thrown Peter under the bus. Some of us would have done that. We're being beaten. We're being accused of things that we didn't do. And over here is this person. They, and they, they know us. And now they're saying that they don't even know us. That they're totally disowning us. That they're cursing God. And trying to emphatically say that they don't know us. I mean, Jesus could have thrown him under the bus. All Jesus would have had to say is, you know that guy over there that's like filthy mouth over there? He's with me. What would have happened to Peter? He would have been arrested and possibly beaten as well. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus could have thrown the book at him. You're a failure. You, you don't measure up. I, I've known that from the beginning. I don't know even know what I saw in you. You can't, even, you can't even say that you know me. No one's asking you to preach a sermon. You can't even say that you know me. Jesus could have thrown the book at him, but he didn't. What did he do? He looked at him, looked him in the eye. And I believe he was saying, there is no failure that you could have that would fail you beyond God's love. I love what happened after the resurrection. You know how the Bible just has so many details that when you lean into them, you're like, what? God is so awesome. After the resurrection, the, the, the women go to the tomb and they find that it's empty because Jesus has been resurrected. Just as he said that he would. And they go to the tomb and there in the tomb is an angel. And the angel says, hey, uh, he's not here. He's risen just like he said. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus wants to meet with you. There were lots of disciples, right? And not just the 12, there were many disciples of Jesus. And God, through that angel, says, go and tell the disciples and, uh, and Peter, only one named. I believe it was a statement to Peter who was ashamed because he had failed. And God singles him out. Just a few days later, Jesus is with them and eating breakfast. And he takes Peter off to the side and they're, they're connecting, they're eating together. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And, and Peter's like, yes, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know I love you. Three times. I believe God was saying, let's get past those three denials. And let's get to the truth that you do know me. That you do love me. And that you're willing to live for me. The love of God. Peter thought that if he would do enough, he could prove that he was worthy of God's love. 
but he couldn't. I mean, for us, instead of living so that God will love us, how about starting our day out of the chute living because he loves us? There's a big difference there. Great starting block for us, and I would encourage you even to start out of it and launch out of it tomorrow morning and throughout this week is this. There is nothing I can do that will attract or subtract the love God has for me. Because this love is unconditional. This love is uncontainable. How many of you have ever seen of Niagara Falls? Seen Niagara Falls? Maybe you've heard of it. Kind of big. An author, Brennan Manning, said this. I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I could comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. I love that quote. See, we're taught do good, get good. We're taught work hard, get paid. That works in so many settings. But that's not how God works. He just operates differently. Romans 5.8 says that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unworthy, hot messes, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we had done a good deed because none of them would ever add up enough to earn his love. No, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, God himself, died for us. Starting block number one, as you launch out into your day tomorrow and the next day and the next day is this. There is nothing I can do to attract or subtract the love that God has for me. Starting block number two. There's no place I will go where I will be alone. Now this one and the next one is specifically for those in this place to have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a believer in him. This starting block is for you. There is no place that I will go. What a way to start out in the morning. There is no place I will go where I will be alone. Now, if you could just take a a look into my random mind. I want to take you on just a little thought here, something that will never happen in your entire life. Let's say you go to a friend's house. When you arrive, they offer you your favorite drink. Maybe it's Mountain Dew or it's a pumpkin spice latte or whatever. And at first you're like, yes. Like that's going to hit the spot. I love that drink. And then a thought hits you from you don't know where. I can't drink that. I mean, I, I, I used to be able to drink that, but I can't drink that right now. My friend's like, well, why? Why, why can't you drink that? And you're like, I, I hate to say this, but I left my 22 feet of small intestines and my kidneys at home. And so there's, there's really no way that I'm, I'm just not prepared. I would like to drink that, but my, I got a pile, a, a pile of small intestines and kidneys that are, and I know exactly where I left them. I left them right by the coffee maker on the counter, and I can't believe I did that again. That's two days in a row. Now, it's ludicrous to even think that, right? And now you guys have it confirmed. I'm weird, okay, to even come up with that idea. You could never leave your 22 feet of small intestines and your kidneys at home on the counter. It couldn't happen. Why? Because it's in you. It's in you. You cannot 
leave it at home because it's in you. But even more real than the fact that your internal organs are in you is the reality that as a believer in Jesus Christ, God's presence is in you. I want you to know, believers in this place, that when you are getting ready to come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, so that life before Christ, that moment even before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. Dead as a door now. Dead in your trespasses and sin. You were spiritually dead. But when you, by faith, believed in Jesus and invited him to be the Lord of your life, the Savior of your life, he stepped in. The Holy Spirit of God stepped in. And your spirit, which was dead, suddenly, boom, became alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit of God. The world cannot accept him, that being the Holy Spirit, because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be where? In you. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? In you. What does that mean for the believer? That means this. There is no place you can go where you will be alone. No place. That means when you go to the doctor, not alone. When you go in for that surgery, not alone. When you step into that conflict, not alone. When you are alone in the school cafeteria, in the break room at work, or in your office at home, you're not alone. When you're standing up for what's right, you're not alone. When you're facing temptation, not alone. There is no place you can go where you'll be alone. What a way to start off your day, a starting block. When you're getting out of bed in the morning, you're like, okay, here we go. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. But there is no place. Whoop, there is no place. There is no place I can go where I will be alone. Why? Because the presence of God is in me. That means if I go over here, the presence of God is there. That means if I go into that tough situation, the presence of God is there. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in him, you are a carrier of the presence of God. So don't live like you left God at home. Oh, man, I left him in the car again. There are times when nervous feelings will come, right, when you face a new challenge. There are times when the fiery darts of the enemy called fearful thoughts come at you and they hit to distract you and disrupt you from the peace that you have in the Lord. But understand, if you give in to that fear, you are disregarding an undeniable fact for a believer. And that's this, God is in you. There is no place you can go where you will be alone. Starting block number three, as we head into this new week, is this. There is nothing I will face that's bigger than his grace. There is nothing I will face that's bigger 
than his grace. Exhibit A is a Jesus follower named Stephen, who in Jerusalem was sharing about his faith in the Lord. He was being used by the Lord to impact people through signs and wonders. He was arrested and brought before the, the, the ruling council of the Jews. And the high priest asks him a question. And Stephen decides to answer the question by taking the opportunity to preach a message that was convicting about how we all need a Savior. And I'm telling you, those people were not happy about that. A lot of people don't want to hear that they're not perfect, that they're rebellious, that they're spiritually dead. They don't want to hear that they have a need for a Savior. And in that day, in that moment, Stephen preached that message. And these people were so angry. Acts chapter 7 says this, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They began to kill him because they were so convicted and so angry. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds a lot to me like what Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. And after Stephen had said this, he, he passed. He fell asleep, went to be with the Lord. Here's Stephen, a fellow human being. He's another dude. Doing and saying things somehow that weren't normal. I mean, is it normal to see someone preaching the gospel of Jesus in a convicting way in front of a hostile crowd? I don't see that every day. Is it normal for a person to see God with their physical eyes? That doesn't seem normal. And yet Stephen was seeing Jesus when he was still alive here on this earth. Is it normal for a person to forgive those who hurt them? Is it normal for a person to not just forgive those that hurt them, but those who are in the process in that moment of trying to kill them? I wouldn't say that's normal. So what in the world is going on here in this passage to this, this human being, this one that looked the same as us, this one who God had created? Well, we get the answer in the previous chapter where it says this, Now Stephen was a man full of God's grace and God's power. He was full of God's grace and God's power. He was a human being, just like us, but he was full of God's grace and God's power. God's grace is the Greek word charis. Used, um, most often is the word that translated grace in our New Testament, and it's used 150 times in the New Testament. Big deal in the New Testament. Strong's Greek Concordance talks about this in this way, that it's the, the divine reflection in a person's life. It's, it's the reflection of God 
in a person's life. I like to think of charis, grace, as just simply this, divine empowerments. It's the divine empowerment to do what you can't do. It's the divine empowerment to do what God has called you to do. That we can't do on our own. It's not human empowerment. It's divine empowerment. And this man was full of God's grace and full of God's power. We see grace in Jesus, right? Jesus was full of grace. Jesus exhibited grace. You see the divine empowerment in him to do what he did. But then we read in John chapter 1 that from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, we have all, so believers, we have all received grace upon grace. And the way that is there is it's like a, a, a continual. It's like because of the fullness of Christ and from the fullness of Christ, we as believers have received, have already received divine empowerment upon divine empowerment upon divine empowerment upon divine empowerment. You see, grace is more than just your sins being forgiven, although that is a huge element of God's grace. Grace is more than just getting you to heaven, although that's a huge element of God's grace. God's grace is, is for everyday divine empowerment so that you can do what God calls you to do. Because of God's grace, no matter what you face, you can win. Because of God's grace, you can now have new thought patterns. Because of God's grace, you can now love people. Because of God's grace, you can say no to temptation every single time. Whoa, what? Not possible. What? It's not possible. You're saying God's grace is not powerful enough or sufficient enough for you and your need? That's contrary to the word of God. God's grace is the divine empowerment to cut off that ungodly relationship. It's the divine empowerment to cut off that ungodly habit out of your life. It's the divine empowerment to have a Christ-like attitude, to live in a selfless way. It's his grace. It's his grace and by his grace that you can have patience with your kids, with your coworkers, even your in-laws. It's God's grace. It is divine empowerment to do what God has called us to do. Starting block number three is there is nothing I will face that's bigger than his grace. There is nothing I will face. As you get out of bed tomorrow morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, there is nothing you're going to face that is bigger than God's grace. These starting blocks are important. Because in front of us we have seven days, right? Till we come back together all together next Sunday. How will you start your day? Because I'm convinced how you start your day will affect in some way, shape, or form how you experience your day. Would you please stand? Today's message, as you have heard, is it's not a list of what we should do. It's not. Today's message is an encouragement. It's a call to just believe what we're invited to believe. As a follower of Jesus, to believe the word of God. I want us to declare these starting blocks together. Can we start with this first one here and together? There is nothing I can do to attract or subtract the love God has for me. So instead of striving, try resting. Number two, there is no place I will go 
where I will be alone. Start there. Start there. Instead of worrying, try trusting. Instead of worrying, try smiling as you start your day. Because there's something you know. That there is no place you're going to go where you're going to be alone. Starting block number three. There is nothing I will face that's bigger than his grace. So instead of fear, try faith. Our opening text today was 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. How do I finish the race? Paul says, well, here's how. I've kept the faith. I have kept the faith. This word kept in the Greek is, 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 is the picture of a detachment of soldiers at that time in the Roman world 2,000 years ago. A detachment of soldiers that would gather around an object or a thing that was their assignment. That's what they were uh, commissioned to do. And they would gather around that thing and they would fight off anything to keep that guarded. Can you just picture that in your mind? These big old soldiers, and they're like, you're not getting this guy or you're not getting this, per this thing. Like they, they were guarding it with their lives. It, it didn't matter what wild animal, it didn't matter what attack or what army was coming across. Their commission, their responsibility was just one thing, guard what is right there. Paul uses that word, knowing full well what that word meant. Paul says, here's how I finish the race, here's how I run the race. I have guarded the faith right here. I wish I had some starting blocks for you to take home with you, carry around all week. But there are some times that spiritually speaking, I carry my starting blocks. I don't leave them in my room after I start the day. Why? Because sometimes I'm forgetful. Because sometimes I get distracted. Because sometimes fear and worry can creep in. Because sometimes I get into a mode of trying to earn God's love. Guard the faith. You might need to carry the starting blocks around with you for a few days. It's lunchtime. You're like, oh yeah, put them back down. All right, here we go. Let's start again. I think I missed it there. There's no place you'll go where you'll be alone. There's nothing you can do to attract or subtract the love that God has for you. There isn't. There isn't. There's nothing you will face that's bigger than God's grace. Isn't that good news? Would you please bow your heads with me? The reality is that those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we know there's level ground around the cross. Why are we following Jesus? Well, it has nothing to do with us. It's all because of Jesus. He gave us an invitation. And by his grace, we said yes. And now we're trying to grow by faith as imperfect people, saying, Lord, help us to honor you. And I want to give an opportunity to those who are here today as an opportunity that so many of us have had different times in our lives. Some of us many, many years ago, some of us last week, and that's this. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you have and you've run from God, don't leave this place without embracing the good news of Jesus. Don't leave this place without embracing the forgiveness of your sins and the call to come, die to yourself, and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. So I want to ask in this place, as heads are bowed, if you're here and you say today, I want to call on the name of the Lord, I want to be saved, I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, would you just slip up a hand right now, right where you're at? 
Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at cccmidland.